this is pretty across the boards for cults. So this is one of those red flags you can really watch out for is the urgent need for full transparency as a cult member in a group. If you're being expected to give up everything for the group, to not have any secrets from the group, to always be on demand with your information or yourself, that's too much. You've crossed the line. Hello, it's On the Edge with Andrew Gold. I mean, I'm just Andrew Gold, but the podcast has that full name, of course. And thank you for tuning into it. I feel in a quite a good mood today. Don't know why, just am. And it's Chris Shelton on the podcast today. He's been on before. He's a former Scientologist, but that is not what we're talking about today, necessarily. Well, actually, it is sort of. But Chris also has a master's in psychology, and he specializes in cults and coercive control and recovery. So he's going to be talking about, I think it was six different ways in the end that we talked about, but he had a whole bunch more, but we went for the big six, that narcissists and cult leaders exploit us, what they're looking at, what kind of insecurities and things they are angling at and and biting away at in order to make us join either their cult or their relationship or just to be able to manipulate us. So I hope this serves as, I don't know, some advice for people listening and, and helps us get inside the heads of horrible people. Coming up, on the podcast are some big ones. It is, um, well, there's a, on Saturday, just behind the paywall on patreon.com slash Andrew Gold is a Q&A I did to celebrate 75,000 subscribers on YouTube. It's now at 80,000, I should say, at the time of speaking. Um, that's behind that paywall. But then Monday, back for everyone, is Jason Flom and Maggie Freeling, who are talking about the horrors of wrongful conviction, the amount of people who are innocent inside prisons and what they do to help people who have been put in that kind of hell. I really do think it's a kind of hell. I always say it's like being buried alive. If you're innocent and spending years and years in a prison cell, I can't think of much worse than that. And then on Thursday, it's Stephen Hassan talking about his time in the Moonies and his way of identifying cults. So we're still on some cult themes and all that kind of stuff, but there's more coming up in the next few weeks about true crime and incels and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. So stick with us. Do follow Chris Shelton on uh, Chris Shelton, just his name on YouTube. He's brilliant. He's a lovely guy. But now you're on the edge of narcissism and cult leaders and stuff with Chris Shelton. Welcome, everyone. We're going to be talking about some really interesting stuff. I've been talking to Chris. I mean, Chris and I have been friends for some time now. We've been back and forward. What would be a really interesting one that our beautiful viewers and subscribers deserve, deserve to hear about? Chris, what is today's topic? Today, we are talking about how the most powerful tool in the cult leader toolkit or toolbox, I guess you could say, at least as far as I'm concerned, and that has to do with emotional manipulation, manipulating people's uh, emotional life and the the mosaic of their personality. You could say <laughs> if you were if you were feeling a little flowery today. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, you've got what is it? An MSc? Is that what one calls it? Uh, yeah, masters in uh, masters of science in the psychology of coercive control. That's what I have. Yeah. 
Well, so if anyone, if there's anyone better to talk about it, I mean, I, I haven't met that person. And and it's interesting, obviously, you're an ex-Scientologist. And so we're going to get into the weeds here. And you need emotional control, of course. And I think a lot of people, uh, particularly looking at comments from now, now and then, most people are very understanding, but a lot of people who watch these kinds of videos, you know, they always say these things like, oh, what kind of video? I could never fall for uh, a cult. This could never happen to me, which I always think, well, if you're saying it that confidently, you're probably one of the first people. Or it could happen to anyone. Where do you stand on that, Chris? Absolutely. That is, you're nailing it. Because I, you know, when, when people used to walk in, I always say this, and people don't believe me, but it's true. When people used to walk in and be all, act all huff and puff and, and skeptical when they would walk into a church of Scientology and tell us how, you know, they don't sign up for things, people, they're sales resistant and all that. We were always lining up to have our crack at them because they were usually the <laughs> easiest people to take down you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of bravado there but it it tends to when when somebody's being that blatant and overt about their you know need to to talk about how great and wonderful and and intelligent they are then generally speaking there's some weakness that they're very hyper aware of and are trying to hide that's yeah. fascinating. So, you, yeah. so I guess, I guess, and, and by the way, if you're just joining us talking about cults and stuff, uh, emotional control, those kinds of things, do hit the like. And also, this is going out on Chris's amazing channel, Chris Shelton MSC. Go check that out. And on mine, On the Edge with Andrew Gold. So if, if you're on one of them, please do subscribe to the other one because we love you and we want to spread you around, which sounds weird. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Chris, when people came in uh, and you wanted to recruit them and stuff, and would it be the ones who were just a bit sort of quietly like, mm-hmm, that that you couldn't you thought I'm not going to be able to get them in. Well, there was always uh, there was always uncertainty there, right? Because when somebody's being quiet or they're not being you know very uh, effusive or very talkative or saying much, then we didn't like those people very much because those were people that you can't manipulate easily because they're not giving you anything with which they can be manipulated, and that was the whole point of the introductory services that we would offer is it was all about trying to get people to open up, to talk to us, to tell us about themselves, to tell us what was on their mind, what their worries and concerns and, and upsets and fears and things like that were. And where were, what, what was, we were ultimately seeking their, what we called their ruin, the thing that was ruining their life as far as they were concerned. And they, and if we couldn't get them talking and telling us stuff, then we were never going to get that ruin. We would never uh, be able to. So it was always, everything we were doing was designed to create a safe space where a person felt that there was an individual in front of them that they could trust to start giving over, divulging their, you know, core values and secrets and ideas and and uh, worries and upsets and, and concerns. And some people are very open and some people are a bit more reserved and you have various techniques you can use to try to get them to open up. If they never open up, you're never going to get to them. You're never going to be able to, you know, and yet at the same time, we all have an emotional need uh, for connection. And so it can be hard to kiss, to, to keep yourself uh, reserved and, and stone faced and held, you know, and, and uh, not opening up, especially when you have a lot of invitations, you know, that have social currency, have social pressure to, to make you open up, you know. 
Um, and they use all of those. And they're very subtle. Some of the techniques can be very, very subtle. They're not always uh, easy to spot and overt and just in the moment. Sometimes they'll start something that might take a little while for for it to really fully take effect and and you don't see it coming you know that kind of thing and these these emotional manipulation manipulation techniques you've got a list of them which one do you want to start with today yeah i've uh, i actually have my famous post-it note in front of me hey let me say one thing real first since we're live here and this just happened um I, you know, th I guess I'll say for lack of a better phrasing right now, thoughts and prayers for Lisa Marie. I mean, she's on her, apparently the news just uh, dropped that she's uh, had a cardiac arrest and is on her way to the hospital. So definitely good wishes, well wishes, thoughts, whatever for her, uh, you know, to be treated and, and, and recover, I hope. I hope she's going to be okay. Mm. Uh, with Lisa Marie so, Presley. Um, is that yeah. Elvis's daughter? Is that right? A sign, and That's, she's a Scientologist. Well, she used to be a Scientologist. She's not anymore. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, well. she's been out for a while and she's actually spoken out and she offered to testify in Danny Masterson's trial uh, against him, right? For the defense or for the, for the prosecution. So, um, so yeah, there's that. But I just, you know, just in general, I hope, uh, yeah, Lisa Marie Presley is, uh, is an epic personality. She's an amazing person. So well, I wish her all the best. Yeah, yeah wish her a recovery. Um, good, good luck to, yeah. you know, thoughts, wanna, as you say. Wanna, with, I saw some comments on that. Didn't want to just let that go. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Thoughts with uh, Lisa Marie Presley. I hope she's um, all right. Because she was just spotted at, um, she was at the Golden Globes where, that uh, famous joke was made by um, that Carmichael comedian. Jared Carmichael, yeah, at the Golden Globes, yeah. House. yeah, the other night. That was that, that was that was that was ballsy. That was brave of Jared. To do that. <laughs> that was ballsy. Yeah. I mean, because Tom Cruise is not somebody to mess around with. You know, like in Hollywood, in the Hollywood world, regardless of Scientology, take Scientology out of the equation. Just Tom Cruise and the power he has in in, in Hollywood. I, I would not underestimate that. I wonder if it's if it's a tipping point. Might be a, it might be the moment. Is is this the Shelley Miscavige stuff in a sense? Even though it's less direct, is it his Woody Allen, his Mel Gibson moments? You know, the moment where Hollywood starts to turn against him. I, only time will tell. You know, people are fickle, uh, and Tom Cruise is a mega star still to this day. Um, Top Gun Maverick proved it. I mean, just proved it. I, I, you can't argue with those numbers and with that money and with that influence. It's there and it's powerful. So could it all turn on a dime? It could. You know, could Shelley Miscavige be the thing that turns it? Maybe. I, I, I kind of doubt it. You can see it on my face, but it would be great. It would be great if it did. Yeah. Well, let's hope that, you know, us bringing it to the world's attention has some tiny impact and does some things. Some of the, some of the horrible things Tom Cruise has done over the years and, and that's part of the whole cult uh, manipulation strategy he's been involved in it i suppose but but yeah do do let's go back to that then what is the first the first thing on your list of emotional manipulation yeah mm. yeah let's take a look at this so um okay basically there's lots of different ways people have categorized emotional needs over the years this is all based off of some people might have heard of that pyramid of has of uh, maslow's hierarchy of needs 
if you if you've been around in psychology or 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 scope around in there, you know, then you might have heard of this. And this is something that was developed back in the 1950s. Maslow's this researcher guy, and you know, you have at the bottom you have your basic food, transport, shelter. You know, your basics, the things you really get really need just at a physical physical level to uh, to get along and survive. But as you move up this pyramid of needs, you get to emotional needs and self-actualization at the very top, this, re, you know, this, this fulfillment and realization of who you are and what you're all about. So along the way there, you have to recognize that we've got inbuilt, undeniable, and unstoppable emotional needs. There's things that we have to have or feel in our life, if we are ever going to feel that our life is meaningful, purposeful, and happy, that we have this is these th- these are the things that bring fulfillment or that sense of meaning or purpose to our lives that gives us the idea that we're leading a successful life. So it's kind of powerful stuff. This isn't this isn't like small stuff in our life. This is major. But a lot of people out there, this is relatively new stuff in in terms of considering it or thinking about it in psychology circles as you know, as basic and fundamental to our existence as it is. And so a lot of people really don't think about or give a lot of importance to their emotional life. The emotions are either inappropriate in the moment and are criticized for that. And we're always trying to control them, or they're flights of fancy that feed delusional ideas. And who needs that? And who needs emotion? Emotion, motion, logic, reason, critical thinking. That's where it's at, you know. And it, fair enough. I've certainly, you know, advocated for critical thinking, but I just want to set the stage here for the importance of this because it's kind of a big deal. And so when I say, for example, that we have an emotional need for security. That's not a small thing. That's very important. And people who do not feel secure in their life do not feel that they have the things they need to feel secure personally for their personality, for their sense of self. They're not happy people. They feel uncertain. They feel on shaky ground. They feel like things could bad things could happen to them at any moment out of any quarter. They don't know where it's going to come from. That's insecurity. And insecurity is not a pleasant place for anybody to be. We've all felt it. We all know what it feels like. And the reason this is important and that I'm talking about it today is because, for example, this is just one of nine emotional needs we can talk about. But this one, for example, you walk into Scientology. Why? Because you feel insecure. (laughs) Because you feel like you need some help. You need something to ground yourself or give yourself some answers to questions you have that you're not able to figure out how do I deal with this boss who won't stop yelling at me all the time? You feel insecure in your job, your pay, your your family life. All of it is resting on toothpicks because your boss is yelling at you all the time and you can't figure out how to deal with that. And it makes you feel very insecure, right? I, I know that that feeling. I guess, we, like you say, we all do. We all need to sort of control our environments as well a little bit. And I mean, I suffered terribly as a teenager from obsessive compulsive disorder. So I used to spend all night switching light switches off and on. I didn't sleep when I was like 16 or 17. So I, I ended up ripping the car door handle of my car when I was 17 off. It like came off in my hand because I, I opened, I pushed so many times to see if it would open when it was locked because I wanted to check it was locked. 
you know, that it actually just came off. That, and that was like, okay, I've got a problem here. And so I recognize that feeling of like, and I don't know if it necessarily, it's quite abstract. It's like an abstract feeling of needing to control, like control what? What am I controlling? What's, what am I insecure about? I don't exactly know. Um, and it was a difficult thing. And I know that I sort of deal with it that way. And I don't know if it's a healthy way or not, I, you know, but it's one of the ways. And nowadays I don't do that anymore, but there are sort of... Uh, uh, subconscious ticks that I have. I chew my tongue. So my fiance will have to several times a day just nudge me and I don't realize I'm doing it. But I suppose it's something that grounds me and maybe pacifies me. I mean, it's like a pacifier. It's a weird thing to do though because I've caught myself doing it once or twice in the mirror and it's a very ugly look and I'm quite ashamed of it. But I guess you know, an equivalent of that. Maybe somebody doesn't chew their tongue and doesn't rip their door handle off their car and they walk into a Scientology building and say, what's what's going on here? Does that sound right? Well, that's exactly right. And the, and the key to the whole thing is in what you said earlier when you said you didn't really know what to do. You didn't know what to do about it, right? There's mystery connected with it. If we have answers, we feel more secure. It's ignorance and not knowing that causes us to lose our damn minds. And here you have a problem and you don't know how to solve it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know how to deal with it. You don't know what's healthy and not healthy. And it's exactly in that kind of ignorance of flailing about trying to figure out the problem that the, ha the helping hand of the cult comes out and says, oh, I've got answers for you. <laughs> you know? Is that and deliberate then? Well, for them, for the cult uh, recruitment people, it's very deliberate. Yeah. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. 
Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. So what's going through their mind? It's like, because this is a thing. So this is what I always struggle to understand. You've got a cult recruiter. They're presumably true believers. Yep. But they're also doing these quite nefarious, deliberate tactics, knowing that they're preying on somebody's emotional vulnerabilities. So what's, how, is the, how do they square those things? Oh, very easily, because they have the solution or the answers that make sense 100% of the time are always going to work and therefore are ultimately justified in being right. They, they hold in their mind the moral high ground. And when you have that view of yourself and your beliefs and ideas, then it's very easy to disregard the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Morality. It's very easy to not respect other people when you are so pumped up on yourself and your ideas and your truths as a true believer, as you, as you mentioned there, right? Um, that it's very, very easy to just, oh, the, I know exactly what this person needs. They actually don't know. They're literally telling me they don't know. So I'm completely justified in moving in with my entire set of answers here and let me give them to you. And I, I don't know about everybody, but I can certainly speak from my own experience and my own headspace as a Scientologist. I was arrogant beyond belief, extremely conceited, and uh, very much had the idea that Scientology was the only real answer. And you can find Christians and Muslims and, you know, other people from other faiths or or belief sets who will who who will say and feel the exact same way. So it's almost a matter of people start becoming they're just figures, they're just people. They're not they're not individuals with individual contexts and history and problems. They're all just potential new members for your group and it doesn't really matter what you need to say or do. Just get them in. And however you get them in, you're 100% sure that it's the right thing that you're doing. Mm, and you never have justify that. So it's fully justified. And this is where the ideas of, of lying and deceiving people outright and knowingly is made completely okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the ends justify the means, right. the greater good, all that stuff. Let That's me know. I, I don't know how quickly you want to go through. Like, do do you want to move on to the second one? I'm just yeah, I'd love to. Just yeah. to give, just I don't know that we're going to cover all of them in the time we That's, have. Yeah, I thought a few might help demonstrate the point. And this is not the first time I've talked about this on my channel, but it's it's a very, very, very important subject and one that I really am trying to promote and and and, and teach about more because it's it it. it you know, the very the very first shows I did on this, I had people, I had some audience feedback of, I didn't even know I had emotional needs, much less how they're going to be used to manipulate me 
And I'm trying to talk about the manipulation side. But first, we really have to establish they are there and they are powerful. They're not, they're not options. You don't have options as to whether you're going to have an emotional life. And, and those emotions drive your behavior. So, it's a, so, so really, my, my, my intent here is because it's not an option, let's understand it so that we're not stuck in the ignorance of ourselves so that cults and other predators can take advantage of us. You know? oh, absolutely right. Absolutely yeah. right. What is the what is the next emotion or emotional need that they now, exploit? The one that one of the biggest ones that gets uh, used a lot in organized religion and and destructive cults is emotional uh, or sorry community community sense of community. We have to feel connected to other people. Sometimes we just want to go off and be by ourselves, and that's a whole another emotional need. But there are there's a deep deep sense that we have to, you know, be part of the hive, be part of the social network. And, um, and that's, you know, even more talked about, more obvious these days than any other time in history because of social media. But, but it really always has been a thing. We organize ourselves in groups, and whether it's a family unit or an extended family or a job or a hobby group or whatever, we're always in these little groups. And groups have rules, and those rules are different than how we as individuals operate. And it's always the conflict between those things that causes so much trouble. But we have to be and feel part of that. So if we are feeling isolated, alienated, alone, and that, the, and we're feeling like this is enforced on us for some reason, or we start inventing ideas that we're somehow socially unacceptable. Nobody likes us. Nobody wants to be around me. Everybody hates me. You know, these kind of thoughts, which can become, you know, very dark and self-destructive for some people. These are, again, where people can be taken advantage of, not knowing that really any sense of community and connection can help that problem. Go down to the damn pub, talk to some people, go to the park, take your dog for a walk. You know, there's lots of things you can do to start fulfilling that emptiness if you're feeling it. But first, it's recognizing that it's there, and then it's knowing you can do something about it without having to fall into the clutches of some guy selling you some solution to why people don't like you or how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Sound familiar, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's where I, that I, I, comes from. I suppose all these emotional needs uh, could also be exploited, not just by cults, of course, but also people in relationships. They talk of the cult of one. Narcissists, um, psychopathic narcissists, will just as easily take a, take advantage of these kinds of things as well, right? That's right. Absolutely. This is how it happens: is they'll they'll swoop, they'll, they'll look for. They're actually they're they're predators. And so you are their prey. <laughs> and what makes you their prey? Weakness and vulnerability. Just like any other prey in the wild. It's that, it's the, the logic is really not that different with human predators. It's just the tools they use are not sharp teeth. They use sharp words. <laughs> mm, absolutely. You know? I think you're right. And I, I quite like the concept of, of sort of you uh, bringing these up and I can sort of respond how I feel to them, I guess, because everyone's so different, I guess, and we all react a little bit differently. And so my when I go back to that insecurity I felt and I was soothing myself by chewing my tongue or ripping my door off and all those crazy things, I wonder if the reason I was never sort of, I never got involved in it as far as I know, of course, anything cultish or teams or sides or groups very much is because I am very individualistic, not to be confused with selfish, I hope for anyone listening or viewing.
interviewing, uh, but very much like an individual, and I think probably an um, um, an introvert. Which seems mad because, of course, I've got this YouTube channel and I love the community of speaking to people and having all of that. But then I need afterwards. I need. I get my energy from just being on my own. And I guess in that sense, all I could do was sit there and and just be like feeling out of control. Whereas I imagine if I were a bit more of a collective person who got energy from being around other people, I'd have been straight in that door for whatever people were trying to sell me. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where we get sort of a third dimension on our emotional needs spectrum, right? Is it's everybody's got more or less of these things. Nobody's nobody's not got none of this. I mean, everybody's got these needs, but how much the needs express themselves are an awful lot of a reflection of our upbringing, culture, you know, language, education, et cetera. So there's a lot of influencers on this. And, uh, you know, also, uh, one person commented here when I was made that quip about going off to the pub or taking your dog for a walk or something. Somebody was like, ugh, it's not that easy for everybody. I know. I know that. Uh, for some people, therapy is required or deeper looks or deeper he- levels of help are required. But for some people, a simple solution does work. And that just doesn't occur to them. And that's why I say it that way. I sort of toss this stuff off. Not as though mental health is so easily solved as going to a pub, but just because for some people, it just doesn't occur to them that that is something that is an option for them. And if it is, go for it. It might actually help you. You know, that's all I'm, that's all I mean by that. Absolutely. So, so I guess we've gone from uh, insecurity to a need for community. Those are two yeah. things that others will definitely exploit. I think we can all agree with, with that. Uh, what, what, might, what might be next on the list? Well, you know, another real powerful one for me uh, personally, and one that I see in a lot of other people is uh, purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is not just some airy-fairy kind of goal, motivational speaker thing. This is an emotional need. We have got to feel that our life has purpose and meaning. And, uh, and if we don't feel that and we don't feel like we're striving and moving forward to accomplishing those purposes and goals and giving our life meaning thereby, then uh, we feel adrift. We can feel lost. We can feel stuck in a vacuum even. We can feel like there is no reason or purpose. And uh, that can actually drive a person way down um, in terms of the other emotional needs because then it causes, you know, I don't have any security and I'm not feeling very uh, certain about myself. I'm not feeling very centered. I I don't, you know, trust other people because I don't know what they're trying to do to me and I don't know what I'm trying to do. And it, it can manifest itself in, you know, a million different ways, but it's, it's um, it's something that a lot of religion, a lot of a lot of people feel that religion gives them a purpose or meaning or some higher thing to be part of, and um, and it's powerful. Therefore, it's you know there, we can see how powerful that is because people on that point alone will stick with an abusive group. I, you know, I sure did thinking. I'm accomplishing this this star high goal, this amazing purpose. You know, it's the you start thinking like, well, you know, you don't make an omelet if you don't break a few eggs. So I guess we got to do that because look at this purpose; it's so amazing. You know, so so uh, so this is powerful. It, it it feeds everything we were just talking about as far as uh, why, as a Scientology recruiter, I felt justified in lying to people 
purpose had a lot to do with that because ultimately, yeah, I'm telling this little fib, but look at what they're going to get. They're going to get personal spiritual immortality and freedom. And if I have to deceive them to get them there, that's a good thing, isn't it? You know, like you can really twist this around very, very quickly. That reminds me a little bit. I, I think of my purpose today my purpose is to grow my YouTube channel. And I become, again, because I've still got that obsessiveness in me. You can imagine, and I think most YouTubers are like this as well. I'm up at 3 a.m. just refreshing the app, just seeing if an extra number has followed, an extra whatever, an extra view. Is this video doing well? And that's my purpose. I can see Chris nodding for anyone, because I'll put this out on the audio podcast as well. So I can see he's nodding along. Because that's how we get, and that's our purpose. And also, what you just said, I mean, I suppose evangelizing. Because when somebody else says, you know what, I might get into YouTube. I give them like an hour speech and they were just saying it flippantly. They didn't even care. But I'm like, oh yeah, you got, what you got to do is get on YouTube, right? Start putting thumbnails up, start doing it. And I start giving them all the advice. And they were like, God, I was just being polite. You know, they don't, they don't want to know. But I feel like there's a not just a purpose for me. I want everyone to have this purposeful life that I have. So yeah, I, I, <laughs> I certainly get that. And I wonder as well, um, again, going back to like relationships and things like that, we're always uh, we're always hearing of relationships where the beginning there was this fire, and a lot of that is about sort of uncovering whether or not the other person is into you, and the purpose is to get them into you. And there's that thing of like, okay, it's done now. What is my purpose? We've done everything, and I certainly know of some relationships, people I know who have uh, never been very happy together, and then they've uh, they've always set a new purpose or goal. They did it like every few months. So one couple I'm thinking of in particular, uh, it was just like they weren't happy. But then they bought a house together. So that was the purpose. It was, you know, you had to build up to that. And then within a few months, they were sort of a bit down again. So they had to get engaged. And then there was the big wedding and everything. And they got divorced about three months after the wedding because there was nothing left. They didn't want to have necessarily have children. What's left? And that's it. So purpose is, is huge, isn't it? Well, it very much is. Uh, and that's an interesting example you give there because it sounds like they were, it was, sounds like purpose was the only thing they were meeting on. Uh, which is rough, you know, because uh, yeah. it's not going to be enough all by itself, right? Um, but it is a need we have, and it's and very much that that is the that is the case. I I, I can't really. Um, it's interesting, you know. Somebody pointed out in my comments. Uh, Steve Hassan wrote that cults are mainly looking for the optimists and idealists, and I I, I don't recall that, but I think that's true. I think that they are because it's people who are all about you know, star high goals and purposes and meaning that um, that they want to achieve in their life, however unrealistic some of those goals and purposes might be. I can tell you clearing the planet Scientology style, in other words, making everybody a Scientologist was a purpose we all operated on in Scientology. And yet it was the most delusional thing we had ever, we could ever talk about. Because we were making no headway of any kind on that goal, but we sure pumped ourselves up on the fact we were. And so here's the funny little twist on this is it doesn't even have to be true that you're fulfilling the emotional need. You mm. only have to look and sound like you are, and the person, the cult member, will do it all for themselves. Well, if, you mean if you're the recruiter? Well, yeah, or or as a cult leader, guru. running a cult. If you can give, and what I'm trying to say is, if you can give somebody the appearance that they have a purpose, the appearance that they're accomplishing something, they'll stick with you even when, objectively speaking, they're not 
accomplishing it's, anything. Who was the Greek guy who had to push a boulder up and down a hill? That's what that sounds like. Sisyphus. That's what that sounds like to me. Just yeah. it's like or on Lost. Do you ever see that TV series? Yeah. They were they were pushing the button every hour or something so the island didn't blow up. Right. That's right. Exactly. It's it's something. In fact, it feeds into another emotional need, which is achievement. They go hand in hand. The achievement and purpose and meaning. They're they're slightly different concepts, but they they operate very very closely together because. In accomplishing a purpose or a goal, you have to feel like in your life that you actually are achieving it, that you're moving forward in some significant way. Otherwise, you become, you know, uh, apathetic or, you know, you, you start feeling traumatized or you start feeling lost because you're not achieving your goals. You've got the goal, but it's too much or it's too big or you're not making it happen for some reason. So there's this other emotional need of achievement. And this is one of the reasons why Scientology, for example, or in lots of other cults, will get away with assigning busy work and nonsensical work and work that really doesn't mean or, or add up to much of anything. But it gives those people the feeling that they are doing something useful and productive, that they are accomplishing something. And it's not hard to over-exaggerate the worth of somebody's job or, or the value of what they're doing. Um, you know, we used to say in the in Scientology that uh, even the cooks and the janitors are contributing directly to planetary clearing. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, they're just cleaning the floor. That's all they're doing. <laughs> but there's nothing I, else to it than that, you know. But I know that feeling as well. Um, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, it's like a therapy session. I get to really like go into each of my emotional needs. Um, but again, like so one of the reasons we all think, you know, I'm going to work so hard. I've got a friend of mine who I remember saying when he was 20, he was going to go into finance and all the, all of these things. And by the time he was 30, he was going to retire. You know, that was the yeah. idea. Yeah. And, but when he did get to 30, he, he quit that job because he hated it so much and tr it became a doctor. To, you know, he wanted to do something more meaningful, but the purpose changed, the goals changed and all these things. Um, I left when I was 23, 24. I did it a different way. I thought, well, I'm not going to earn that money because I don't want to work in finance or anything like that. But I'll go to a place where I can do like online writing and it's going to be cheap enough or affordable enough for me to live. And I was living out in Buenos Aires, which isn't that cheap, but because of the writing I was doing online for random copywriting, whoever it was, I was living a life of luxury. Like like for for, for a 23-year-old anyway, it was certainly not what was expected of, of at my age. So while everyone else was back home in England in the rain, working in these offices, I spent about seven years <laughs> um, basically on my own by a pool, a swimming pool in, in like a deluxe, very like swanky, lovely resort, just like lying there sunbathing. And I gotta say, I was miserable, <laughs> like absolutely miserable the whole time. Like, what am I doing? doing and and you get to a point where like your life changes and it becomes smaller and so things like getting up to have a shower became like the main purpose of the day so it would be like i don't know 11 a.m and i'd be getting out of bed and it'd be like god okay so at four by four o'clock i need to have had a shower maybe if i go to the pool i'd have had a second shower later on and they became like the purpose of my day was to make sure i'd showered once or twice and then like maybe done some like swimming or something and yeah i'm much happier back home even when it's raining and horrible and i'm stressed by youtube driving me crazy i've got purpose at least exactly <laughs> wow that is funny that is funny how'd you break that cycle uh, of of being miserable, sitting out, just staying in. Well, 
It, it, well, okay. So, so one thing was I met my fiance out there. So she's now living in, in England with me. So I met her. So part of it was that I had to stay there while she finished her studies. And that was like six years of studies that I was going to stay there for. And obviously, I, you know, I exaggerated for comic effect a little bit. So I had a couple of friends, but we would all have similar lifestyles. That's a bit of the uh, expat lifestyle. You know, it does get like that. And you would sometimes see the 50, 60, 65, 70 year old version of you who's been there 40 years and you're 23 and you think, God, oh, I don't know if I want that. Because they're just like so tanned, their skin is leather and they've gone through like five Latina wives. And you're like, this is not you know, a life I want to have. <laughs> right. So yeah, once once she, my fiance was able to to leave because she'd finished studying, it was a case of let's go somewhere and let's go to like the most horrible place possible to, to be the opposite of South America. So we, we actually went to Berlin and lived in Germany for three years. And the purpose was to learn German. The other thing was that when I first got to Argentina, the purpose was learning Spanish. So again, I had these purposes, but once I'd learned Spanish, once I'd learned German, what am I doing here? So yeah, constantly moving on to the next purpose. And again, that's why we're constantly scrolling on the YouTube app to see if we've got any more subscribers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, this <sighs> is powerful stuff, you know. I mean, how we manifest it can be both ridiculous or, you know, amazing. But um, the fact that we ha are driven to do these things is really the, the, the point I'm making. We can make a complete hash out of it still doesn't take away the point that we're trying to do it. You know, how successful we are is, is up to us. Um, on that note, there's another one that is violated routinely by cults. And this is the one where things start becoming truly damaging to people. So let's talk about this one for a minute. And that is the sense of, that is an emotional need for privacy. Oh, go on. Um, you know, we have community where we want to share, we want to be open, we want to talk to other people, we want to connect. And, um, and there is a need for emotional connection, that, that there be a meeting of not just the minds, but the souls, the, the hearts too, you know, as we, however you want to put that. We all know what that feels like. Let's not pretend we don't. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing than when you are coming to a, an intellectual agreement with somebody. So there's so there's that, but this privacy thing is the opposite. It's it's like this need of like, okay, I got to pull back. I need to put my flippers in sometimes. I need to go sit on the couch and veg and just not do anything. I need to have my time, and most importantly, I need to be able to have some secrets. I need to be able to have my own knowledge, my own identity, my own sense of self. And it has to be able to be mine, and it's not anybody else's. We've all got those thoughts that would, you know, we don't want anybody else to know about, and that's okay. And we've got parts of our lives that we want to do, and we know that we don't want anybody else around when we're doing it. And it doesn't have to be dirty or perverted or sick. I'm talking about whatever it is, model making, you know, whatever. It's it's your thing. Yeah. And that's okay. That in in fact, it's more than okay. It's a necessity. So, so how do cult... Oh, go on. Sorry. I was just going to... Yeah, I think you were about to answer what I was going to ask. How do cult leaders and narcissists and people who are, you know, nefarious people, how do they take advantage of that emotional need for privacy or privacy? Yeah, that's where it comes in is because what they do is they convince you that that's not necessary. And in fact, that that is harmful to you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I thought you were going to say... Because the other ones, it was like the cult gives it to you. So we've looked at achievement, we've looked at purpose, we've looked at 
security. Yep. And it's the idea that the cults are giving that to you. Whereas here, they're taking it away from you because obviously cults thrive on secrecy, right? Exactly. And, that's, and this is the one that cults can't let you have. This is the one where they have to manipulate you in such a way that they're taking it away from you. And this is pretty universal. This is, this is pretty across the boards for cults. So this is one of those red flags you can really watch out for is, is, the, is the urgent need for full transparency as a cult member in a group, as a member of a group. If you're being expected to give up everything for the group, to not have any secrets from the group, to always be on demand with your information or yourself, then you that's that's too much. You've crossed the line. There is no need of any kind for that. You always have a right to privacy and to your own self and to your own whatever that means for you, your information, your privacy, your yeah. time to yourself, etc. And anybody who's convincing you otherwise has an ulterior motive. They're trying to take something very, very important away from you. Um, this is, in fact, how we nurture a sense of self within us is we give ourselves time alone. Yeah. You know, and, it, yeah, and it's yeah. so normal and it's so routine in day to day that people don't tend to think about it or assign it the level of importance it really has for us psychologically. But it's when it's taken away from them in a culty situation or in a predatory, coercive situation. Predators do this all the time with their spouses, uh, male and female, right? You don't have any rights to privacy. This is our relationship, and it demands full transparency. Damn it. You know, this kind of approach. And so <laughs> if that's the status of your relationship, you know, I'd be looking deeper into that because those are red flags. You don't owe anybody full transparency. Do you want to? I got a funny story around that because um, I've I've never been that that type with my fiance, and I hope she doesn't mind me telling this story, really. But uh, I, you know, if she's on her phone, not only am I not jealous, I'm, I'm utterly uninterested. I don't care, right? But the day before I proposed to her, her. I told her parents and sort of, you know, the old fashioned, not get their permission because that's a bit outdated, but just I wanted to let them be in on it and all that stuff. And when we were, we were driving the next day to the place I was going to do it, she suddenly got all these messages and I'm driving and I could see out the corner of my eye all these hearts and stuff from her mum. And I thought, they've given it, she's given it away. So for the first, the only time in our entire, after like, of, of like eight years, we've been together, nine years, uh, where I suddenly was like, what are you doing on the phone? And she was just like, what? And I was like, no, just what, why? Come on, we're driving here. Because I was just thinking I've got to get her off the phone in case she sees that I, you know, or, or that kind of thing. And yeah, it was, it was a, also, I thought we can't get into an argument because uh, that would be no good either just before I propose. But it was the only time where I felt like, wow, imagine being a guy like that who's like, who are you talking to? What are you doing? Uh, and she was like, none of your business. What are you talking, get out of here. And I was like, no, no, I know, I know. But it makes you, it makes you feel car sick, doesn't it? You're going to get dizzy. You're getting dizzy. Get your phone away and all that. You know, she has since told me that she was very suspicious that I was probably going to. I did. I was acting weird for days. I couldn't hide it. But <laughs> you know, secrets, right? Do you, you know I'm? Do you know I'm writing a book about secrets, about the, the psychology of secrets? No. Oh, I might have to quote you on the cults bit because there is a chapter about cults I'm doing, and uh, the the irony. Like, firstly, one thing I found really intriguing was the difference between privacy. I never know whether whether to say privacy or privacy, but privacy and uh, secrecy, 
right? And that, that depends on the morals or, of the time or the expectations of the time. Yep. So if something is like societally expected, uh, then it's just privacy, right? Uh, you expect that like a couple has sex. It's not really a secret that they do. It's just their own privacy. Sure. But if they never do it, that is now a secret because societal expectations are that couples do do that. I'm purposely not saying the S word too often in case the videos get taken down, but we expect that couples do have that marital thing. And so when they don't, that's when it's no longer just privacy. Now it's secrecy as well. And it's really interesting how those two things combine. And another interesting thing in what you said is about the secrecy that is expected of, you know, you, you now have none, but the irony is the very institution or the person in a narcissistic relationship that is imposing that on you, that you no longer have any secrets, tend to have loads of secrets themselves. That's how they, you know, so the cults, and the, they're all about secrets, right? Well, that's exactly right. And and I, it's funny you made that dif distinction between privacy and secrecy because that's exactly the kind of wordplay that would be used. What you said was totally legit. I have no problem with everything you just said. But reverse it for a second, make it totally backwards, and that's what cults will do in explaining to you why you don't have secrets in the cult because they're bad. Well, you don't want to have secrets from us. Why would you? We're only here to help you. We're only here, I, you know, the guru. I'm only here to save you, but only if you cooperate. You have to cooperate with me. And that means you've got to tell me what's going on when I ask. And that's how they will sideswipe your privacy by, by making it a necessity that you share information. And then they'll take it one step further and make it all your information has to be shared. We should not have any secrets between us, right? Because, yeah, if, if you're keeping a secret, it must be because you're doing something wrong. It must be either a societal transgression or you're betraying me in some sense. If, it was, if there was nothing wrong with what you're doing, well, you'd be able to tell me, wouldn't you? So you should tell me. Exactly. That's the manipulation. And that's where you get talked out of your sense of privacy. And that's, that's crazy making. That will destroy you psychologically um, because these are needs. They're not wants. They're not desires. They are needs. So we've got to be clear about that. And when you start taking them away from people, not just manipulating them to reframe it so the person is convinced that in this group they are secure or they are achieving their goals or they are their fullest sense of self, right? You can, you can lie to somebody and deceive them into thinking those things and they feel fulfilled because they're telling themselves that they are and ultimately we're the judge of that. But when you're taking things away from people and denying them the right to have these emotional needs, now you're pretty much pretty, you know, it's, it's, it's tantamount to uh, violating their most basic human rights. You're literally taking them apart and saying that parts of them that they feel and need don't matter, don't exist, aren't important. They just need to overcome that. And when you when you do that to somebody over a long period of time, in the same way that Scientology will suppress people's emotions in a similar way, you're you're literally taking things away from people that they need, and they're going to start feeling very weird. They're going to start feeling empty, for, and they're not going to have any explanation as to why. They're going to feel really like tied up and 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 confused and upset. And they're not going to be able to assign it to anything because 
of the confusion and the manipulation. That it can't be that it's because they don't have a sense of privacy. It can't be because I can't keep anything to myself. But for some reason, it's just been because it can't be that, they don't even think that it could be that and they don't think about it. But the feelings remain, even if they can't figure them out. And that's the crazy making part of what goes on in a cult, all inside a person's head, you know, just as one example. And this is why I say these are powerful motivators. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go on to, I think we've got one, two, three, four, five. We're on to the sixth uh, of of nine. Again, we might not be able to get all, all nine done. No. What's, there, uh, one more we can talk about, I think. Uh, Let's do one more, yeah. Yeah, it, ego and self, sense of self. I've mentioned that a few times now. It's, uh, it's its own thing, right? You have to, you know, we all have our inner monologue or our inner sense of who we are. But there's an emotional, and, and part of that is an emotional component is how we can kind of classify that or categorize that, that there is a fulfillment. There's a sense of safety and security again. These, all, these are all very interrelated, these emotional needs. So by, by feeling like you are a distinct, unique individual, who you, know, who you are, your sense of yourself, what makes you, you, and how is that different from every single other person in the world. Well, that's a pretty that's one of the most powerful of our emotional needs and it's one of the first things that cult leaders are trying to take away from you. This is another one of those things where they're literally not just trying to manipulate it, they're trying to destroy it. Because cults if you were going to if you were going to reduce cults down or or predatory relationship spouse, you know, of coercive abuse down to you know, one word, if you had to, one word that might suffice is compliance. It's all about compliance. It's all about control. So a person has a hard time controlling you if you have a strong sense of who you are and what you're about. And the compliance that cults seek is to merge you, your identity, your sense of self with the rest of the group. And make you just a peon, a, a, just another cog in the wheel, just another part of their machine. That's how they look at you. You're a tool. You're, a, you're something to be used. And you fit into their machine. So your sense of self and identity and individuality has got to be attacked. But when something like Scientology, 
it can be really crazy how they do it. Because, of course, one thing you can say about Scientology is they have a grossly inflated sense of self. So how does that work? Well, yeah, I was going to ask you, because you you've seem to have a very strong sense of, I mean, not in a good way, no different to me, but a very strong sense of identity and stuff. So how did that work with you as well? Yeah, well, it, it's that the, the trick is to sublimate it, to convince you with very simple tricks that all that sense of self and uniqueness and identity is only valuable and important to the degree you're giving it to the group. Without the group, you are nothing. So the group establishes your sense of identity now, not yourself. It's a, it's a little switch that gets turned. And it gets done in very clever ways. For example, I can tell you in Scientology, as a Sea Org member, the number one point, the very first point of the, of the written code of a Sea Org member there's a, there's, a, there's a code <laughs> that we would follow. And the first point of that code is, um, uh, I promise to uphold forward and carry out command intention. Oh, no, sorry. I think it's point number four. It's in there. It's, not, it's in the first few points of the code. Is a being is only as valuable as he can serve others. That's the phrase. A being wow. is only as valuable as he can serve others. I hate that, man. Yeah, start taking that. that apart. It sounds on the surface when you're in a headspace where you're not thinking that that's a malicious statement, that sounds very altruistic, very giving, very, you know, motivational for I'm going to give it my all to help everybody else. You know, it sounds very nice until you really think about it and you go, wait a second, what do you mean I'm only as valuable as I can serve other people? That makes me a slave is what that does. Yeah, this is, you know, I try not to get as political anymore just because it just upsets everyone and everyone hates each other and whatever. Uh, but that is sometimes my issues with some of the far left of the political spectrum and why I find it a little bit more insidious because I feel like the far right, you see it coming. Uh, but on the far left, there's often this feeling, at least in my in my view, of of like, hey, community, everyone's just helping each other, and that is true until you get really far to the left, and then it's like, oh, you know, uh, you you lose your individuality, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the far, far, far left is communism and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is scary. I mean, you know, what was interesting also about uh, lack of self. Or, or whatever is is uh, I remember I, oh, I'll never forget I, when I interviewed M. E. Thomas, who's a the the writer of Confessions of a Sociopath, and she she doesn't like show her face on screen or whatever, but she's a sociopath and talks about it. And she said like at least this is her view of it. She was like you know we, we don't ha- I don't have a self. That's my accent of American. You know she's American, but she's like <laughs> I don't I don't have a self. I just you know she just is and does, and she doesn't have like a she doesn't feel like she is, and that's what makes psychopaths so difficult. Sometimes they're like an other of some sorts, and um, that obviously that's not suggesting that anybody who feels that they've got a not strong self of self or whatever, it's all different kinds of people. But there are also a lot of psychopaths, presumably in in cults. Well, for sure there are. Um... That's fascinating. I'd have to I'd have to interrogate that a bit more closely to understand what it exactly she's saying with that, because in a way that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but I would need to dig deeper on what she means by that. But that's fascinating that she even thinks that that there's no self there because they're 
there very clearly is a self there. But how she experiences that self is is worth knowing more about. I, I'm, I'm suddenly very curious about that. I'll have to check out that video. Mm. Get an episode. I think it was like my, uh, on the audio, it's like number 50, but on YouTube, it's just like type Emmy Thomas. But like she, she is fascinating. And like, look, she's not a doctor, you know, but she's telling us how she feels. And she said for her, that's one of the key differences between psychopaths and narcissists is that narcissists have a very strong sense of self and they're often very hurt. Uh, they're very hurt when their sense of self uh, doesn't correspond with how people are reacting to them. You know, they think they're sure. great and wonderful and that doesn't correspond with their real the reality and they, that's very confusing for them and they suffer delusions. Whereas the psychopath, she said, then it's just her one, this one psychopath's opinion or sociopath and I know everyone then just goes, oh, there's a difference between a sociopath and a psychopath and yes, I don't need to get into the weeds of that. But she... <laughs> but she <laughs> all shows on that. I know. I know. I know. Everyone goes mad about that. And then everyone has different opinions about what the actual difference is. Right. Is it about the nature nurture thing or is it like a totally different thing? But for, who, I don't care for the purposes of this thing. Um, she said like, you couldn't hurt my feelings. Nothing can hurt my feelings because... I'm just, I, I don't have a self like that. And I said, I thought your book was awful. And she was like, well, that's okay. And I was like, and I think your family seemed terrible. I don't like them. And she was like, that's fine. Doesn't bother me. Then, but I was thinking maybe she's just saying that and then she's going to like fly over on the next plane and come and kill me or something. So who knows what was really, because that's the other thing is if she is a psychopath or sociopath, they do tend to lie a lot. So she well, might have just been exactly. lying. <laughs> exactly. There's there's a, there's a lot of layers of uh, well a few yeah. layers of of problem with that with all of that. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's fascinating, and I don't have to be right about my mental models or whatever. You know, psychopathy and sociopathy and all that is 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 fascinating stuff. And people are people are all over the place. You know, but but most of what I'm talking about, of course, is non pathological. This is just perfectly regular, normal, average psychology 101 stuff. And um. Emotional needs get a little bit more than psych 101, but this is this is important stuff for most people out there. And if you're not, you know, mentally uh, deficient or neurologically damaged or you know, another in some in suffering from some intense uh, mental problem, you're you, these things are going to hold true for you. You know, and um, if for the most part, everybody's got these things, and they are they are important to know to understand in the same way that it's important to know and understand that you have to eat and sleep and pay taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's, there's not <laughs> we... In your life, you know, it's not, so stop thinking they are and start thinking with these and understand them as, as an integral part of yourself. And life will start making a lot more sense to you. That's why I talk about these things and why, it, why I love it is because it makes everything make a lot, lot more sense. Um, in terms of why people get into cults and why coercive control and why do people put themselves in those situations and why do they stay once the situation happens and the abuse starts up. And these answer every one of those questions in a very sensible way and, most importantly, in a way that you can actually do something about. Well, there, there you go. Fantastic, Chris. Should we do a couple of Q&A questions from the audience? Is? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. I've got a few here because some of these people put money things. What is your thought? We'll ask you, Chris. Helen Girl 55 says, what is your thought of prescription medication for teens who suffer from depression and anxiety? Um, I think that sometimes it's necessary and sometimes it's not. It's very context specific. I wish we had better testing and I wish we had better... Um, 
guidelines on how and when to subscribe psychotropics. I strongly disagree with general medical doctors prescribing psychotropic medications. That's the only place where I really feel strongly right now on this that I can draw a firm line in the sand and say, hey, let's stop doing this part of what we're doing right now, which is general doctors, not psychiatrists or psychologists. Psychiatrists, really, um, because psychs don't uh, psychologists don't prescribe meds, but I don't like the fact that general doctors can do it because they're not trained and they're not up on the literature and they're not, it's just not their job to understand mental health at a level that I think is required to be prescribing meds. Okay. Well, good answer. And I've got Mac and cheese who I believe is in Israel and says, uh, and this might be one more for me because I just know about Julia Hart. There are some people like Julia Hart from my unorthodox life who never, ever escaped from any cult. She used it for fame, which is awful. And I know this for a fact. I don't know enough about it. I tried to get Julia Hart, who's a former uh, Hasidic Jew, I believe, although Mac and cheese might tell me that's not actually the case. Do you know anything about her, Chris? I do not. This is news to me, but um, I mean, there's so many stories to try to keep up with, you know, but the fact that somebody could fake it in this day and age. Sure. Of course. I mean, you know, we got people trying to fake all kinds of things right now at all levels of our governments. That's right. That's <laughs> right. There's, there's also, I, you know. I, th- I think that's probably also to do with, and I'd have to ask Mac and Cheese about this as well, it's also to do with the, the levels of, because it's a very different, whether you call Hasidic Judaism a cult or not, is very different to something like Scientology, because it is sort of, it's that murky ground between religion and cultishness. And I've been told off by a lot of Hasidic, I'm being Jewish myself, I, I have sort of contacts from that world a lot more. And boy, have they been annoyed at me when I've suggested that it might be a cult. And I think from some of the stuff they've said, I, I've, I, I, take that I'm probably wrong, but at the extreme ends, I'm sure it, it does get quite bad. And so maybe that's what that question is about. Maybe it's, she didn't escape from quite the same levels of extreme that uh, might be suggested. Oh, so the assertion here is that uh, is that Orthodox Judaism is not a cult. It might be the assertion. We'd have to ask Mac oh, and Cheese here. That, that might be it, or that her particular, because uh, there are so many different versions of it, that right. her particular one maybe wasn't or i don't know enough about it i tried to get julia hart on through her pr person uh she's the star of this reality show my unorthodox life got it uh, but yeah i haven't I haven't been able to get i'd have to yeah i'd have to look more into that before i could really pronounce any sort of judgments on it but i will say that um what i have seen of the uh orthodox jewish community is uh, in person and on tv is has not impressed me. I, 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 there's definitely culty stuff going on there. I'm not going to label the entire faith a cult, but I will certainly say that I have directly witnessed uh, culty controlling behavior in that group. And it's something I am disturbed about and one I've kind of bookmarked for, you know, later inquiry after I get my current stuff done. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. It, as I, I, you know, agree with you uh, on the extreme ends of it. But I mean, I've even come, because I used to say any Orthodox Judaism is very cultish because I'm not, I, I'm an atheist myself. I did get a bar mitzvah and I did all those kinds of things. Uh, but now, I, you know, I don't do any of that stuff now, just maybe culturally Jewish, I suppose. Um, but I've been told off a lot. And I think even a lot of the Orthodox Jews are perhaps not culty, but the ultra-Orthodox, it can be. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about it, actually, and I need to talk to some people from that um, thing. So we've got another question here from Ellen, not Sarah Lee Herg. Chris, at the time, did you believe what you were selling? This is when you were in Scientology. You bet I did. I was was as true a true believer as you can be. 
Absolutely. There you go. There you go. I think is that every is that all of our questions for now? I just it's so hard to sort of scroll and look at them at the same time. I know. I totally hear what you're saying. Do it on Q and A. Q and A shows all the time. I got a I got a nice super chat uh, from Fabian here. I'll use that while we're going. He didn't ask a question. He just threw me a super chat. So thank you for that. Oh, that's very nice. That's very nice. Thank you to 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 them. Uh, is there? There's got a little question from John Brock. Is there a worse cult than the Church of Scientology in terms of money and influence? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Moonies are far more influential and, and money than Scientology is. Hell, the Mormons are, I mean, as far as that goes, in, in terms of government influence and power. I mean, hell, they got Mitt Romney. I mean, and that's not a small thing. I, I, I tossed that off, but I, I'm actually not joking. The, the Mormons have an incredible amount of power and influence. They own a state of the United States. I mean, they literally own the place, you know, it's, that's not a small thing. People tend to forget it, but because the Mormons are not controversial in the same way Scientology is, but what they get up to is, is, is pretty bad. So, uh, yeah, there are definitely bigger, badder cults out there. The reason we talk about Scientology so much, I mean, I do, because of course I'm a former member, but also in the cult world, Scientology is infamous because the, the sheer volume of control mechanisms and layers of control that exist in Scientology and the layers of deceit are, are go way beyond or way more complicated than what you'll find in most other groups. Um, the Moonies are a pretty multi-layered operation and structurally, organizationally, they're pretty wild. But the belief sets not super complicated, you know, and the levels of control they're engaging in, the number of mechanisms they use they're, they're there, but there's not tons of them. In Scientology, you've got hundreds of techniques of control being utilized against you at any one moment. It's, it's quite deep. And that's where Scientology kind of, um, their claim to fame in the cult world. Absolutely right. And I've got another from Ellen, not Sarah Lee Herg. Why did you believe it, Chris? I think we've got into that a bit. Because <laughs> I grew up in it. <laughs> well, also, I would say the the six or so uh, emotional points that you made. So, I would recommend anyone not sure to go back and listen to this and view this again. Maybe do that anyway. It gives us extra points in the algorithm. People have watched it again. It must be a good video. Soars in the algorithm, then goes wild. I've got one question just from me to Chris. Are you aware uh, of what to toss something off? It means in British. <laughs> yes, I have been corrected on that. Yes, I, that was that was very funny. I, I say that uh, without realizing the audience I'm talking to sometimes. <laughs> Fantastic end. Right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone, so much for coming. We really appreciate it. Please do check each other's channels out, up, sign up to them, do our Patreons. Just <laughs> it's a list of things. I'm sending you a list of things to do. Just just be happy and, and love your loved ones. Uh, Chris, any last words before we... Uh, yeah, I think you covered all the bases. Thanks for coming around, everybody. We really appreciate your viewership and support and everything. And and uh, I just, this, this is the most fun I get to have in my day. So I, I always appreciate doing this stuff. Thanks, Andrew.
Thank you, Chris Shelton, for coming on the podcast. Please give him some love. Go to his YouTube page, sign up, subscribe, say hello, say you found him on this podcast. I hope that was an insightful episode because I certainly learned a lot about the way that narcissistic, coercive, controlling, manipulative people exploit us. So that was really good. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much for that. Coming up, there's a Q&A that I did coming out on Saturday for Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Andrew Gold. And then there is... Jason Flom and Maggie Frilling talking about the horrors of wrongful conviction. And Stephen Hassan about cults and the Moonies and his bite model, they call it. A way of, I guess not too similar to the episode we just had actually, where we really go into what something needs to be to be considered a cult. So I hope you enjoy that one. Hope you stick with it. Please do review the podcast on Apple and all of those things and have a lovely week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.